Allison and I want to take a minute to introduce you to a new true crime podcast that we think you'll love as much as we do. This week's podcast suggestion comes to you from our friends Cam and Jen. These two put time, love, devotion, and respect into all of their true crime episodes. This show is called Our True Crime Podcast, and here's a little bit about Cam and Jen's show. Last year, there were nearly 22,000 murders in the U.S. Not surprisingly, more than 200 true crime podcasts launch every year in the U.S. alone. There's no shortage of crimes and no shortage of crime podcasts to cover them. But none of those shows have the heart of our true crime podcast. Thank goodness. Well, hell, they didn't even have seatbelt laws back then. They never wore seatbelt. Yeah, it's fine. He could not remember exactly what happened and thought that he had blacked out. That was about it. That's all he could tell officers. He was drawing things, saying the the thoughts won't stop. I want to see how how this plays out. It's heartbreaking. Isn't it time you made our true crime podcast your true crime podcast? Our true crime podcast, available on all your favorite podcasting apps. One of my favorite Christmas movies is It's a Wonderful Life. The story it tells is truly beautiful. If you've never seen it, I'm going to spoil it for you in this short synopsis from IMBD. Quote, George Bailey has spent his entire life giving of himself to the people of Bedford Falls. He's always longed to travel, but never had the opportunity in order to prevent rich Mr. Potter from taking over the entire town. All that prevents him from doing so is George's modest building and loan company, which was founded by his generous father. But on Christmas Eve, George's Uncle Billy loses the business's $8,000 while intending to deposit it in the bank. Potter finds the misplaced money and hides it from Billy. When the bank examiner discovers the shortage later that night, George realizes that he will be held responsible and sent to jail and the company will collapse, finally allowing Potter to take over the town. Thinking of his wife, their young children, and others he loves will be better off with him dead. He contemplates suicide, but the prayers of his loved ones result in a gentle angel named Clarence coming to earth to help George with the promise of earning his wings. He shows George what things would be like if he had never been born, end quote. George Bailey was a giver, but George Bailey didn't see how much he was loved or how important he was. When he stood on the bridge, staring down into the cold, wintry water, wishing he was never born, he had no clue how much his existence affected everyone he knew. I think we're all a little like that, thinking we never do enough or we never give enough. We give so much to our families, our jobs, our friends, our hobbies, our church, that sometimes we stop seeing all the good that we do. I know there are some days that such bad things happen that we do wish we could disappear just as George Bailey did. What we don't stop to think about is how sad the world would be if we weren't in it, how much we would be missed if we simply disappeared. In today's case, a loving mother and wife seemingly falls off the face of the earth. She's literally gone without a trace. This is the story of Dorothy Forstein.
Welcome to Coffee and Cases, where we like our coffee hot and our cases cold. My name is Allison Williams. And my name is Maggie Dameron. We will be telling stories each week in the hopes that someone out there with any information concerning the cases will take those tips to law enforcement so justice and closure can be brought to these families. With each case, we encourage you to continue in the conversation on our Facebook page, Coffee and Cases Podcast, because, as we all know, conversation helps to keep the missing person in the public consciousness, helping keep their memories alive. So sit back, sip your coffee, and listen to what's brewing this week. Oh, 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 O'Reilly! You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts. Okay, this one was a spur of the moment episode. So... Those can be the best. I think we're going to like it as much as you can like the um, things that we talk about. But her case is very interesting. Uh, P.S. Before you start, I never knew that you also shared. So, Sleuth Hounds, you know that Maggie and I both love The Wizard of Oz. But I now know that we both also love It's a Wonderful Life. Oh, it's one of my favorite Christmas movies. Jimmy Stewart. I know. It's in, He's in got the so field. many good movies. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So good. Okay. So back on track, we are talking yeah. about Dorothy Cooper Forstein, and she was a happily married, well-off mother with three young children. So two of them, both girls, were from her husband's previous marriage. And then she and her husband, Jules, had a baby named Edward. So okay. I read and I actually watched a YouTube video by Brooke McKenna that had a lot of really mm-hmm. good information. That And in that video, she talks about Jules' first wife actually died in childbirth. Oh, gosh. And after his wife's death, he and Dorothy, who I believe she said have been childhood friends, reconnected, fell in love, and got married. And it's important to know that the first wife died in childbirth because... Some people, because of what happens to her, they like to put blame on the husband and they kind of talk about how the first wife died, but he obviously didn't cause that death. Okay. I get what you're saying. This is not a repeat. Right. Right. Um, But Dorothy was raising those other two children um, as her own and then obviously her son, Edward. Okay. Her husband, Jules, worked for the city of Philadelphia, for the Philadelphia City Council, so they lived in Philly. And he and Dorothy, from all accounts, shared a very happy marriage. They lived in a very prominent area of town, like described as the ritzy part of town. Oh. They lived in a three-brick or three-story brick home. Oh, my gosh. I don't know if I've ever been in a three-story house. I don't either. Well, I mean, like. I mean, if you count the basement, yeah, okay, but and I'm like from the pictures, this was three stories above ground, so a mansion basically. Wow, and it was like a cute little home. But yeah. in 1943, um, and this kind of explains, I guess, their prominence. Jules mm-hmm. was named magistrate, and mm. that 
you know, father, husband being involved in politics, mom was stay at home, their family was happy, healthy, and wealthy. Mm-hmm. And in that same... Oh, to be all three. Yeah. Oh, to have all three. (laughs) Literally, before we started recording, Allison and I were discussing public student loan forgiveness. (laughs) (laughs) To have it all. I know. But in that same McKenna video I watched, she talked in great detail about what a social butterfly Dorothy was. Dorothy, like so many that we have talked about previously on Coffee and Cases, would often find herself surrounded by people at parties. Um, Everyone loved to be in her company. She had just a way of making people feel comfortable, making them feel valued, making Mm -hmm. them laugh. And, you know, that's pretty good qualities for a politician's wife. To be bubbly and all that. Right. That's perfect. Because Mm -hmm. then, you know, if somebody's mad at your husband, you can kind of smooth it out. Yeah. You're like the little barrier in between Mm -hmm. the husband and his contingents. Right. So even though they seemed to have it all, something was about to happen that would change this sweet social butterfly that Dorothy was known to be into a scared, traumatized woman on the verge of mental collapse. Oh, so drastic shift. Yes, because on January 25th, 1945, Dorothy dropped her children off at a neighbor's house um, so she could do some shopping. This particular neighbor, I never saw a name, but was one that was always willing to watch the foreseen children when Dorothy needed to go out to get groceries, get her hair done or whatever. So this is a trusted person. Yeah. Watched their Mm -hmm. kids regularly and never asked questions really where Dorothy was going. Not like she had anything to hide, but Mm -hmm. you know, Dorothy, it seemed to me could just go knock on her door and be like, Hey, I need to run out for a bit. Can you watch the kids? And she would just say, sure, come on in. So watch them like at the drop of a hat. Mm-hmm. The next little tidbit of information sounds very lamb to the slaughter to me, Allison. And mm. I think you're going to like pick up on that a little bit as well. Not in the bad way, but just in the time period type okay. way. And so for those of you all listening, Lamb to the Slaughter is one of my absolute favorite short stories. It was my favorite to teach, all time favorite short story to teach because the ending is just the whole thing is everything. It's so good. So go read it. Yeah. So go read it. So read. Basically... <laughs> That's your assignment. No, that's your homework. And then there's a little video that you can watch. It's a movie. It's like an hour long. You can do a compare and contrast. <laughs> Let us know what you think. <laughs> <laughs> then there will be a quiz. So yeah. Be, yeah. be prepared. That'll be on Patreon. We'll do a Lamb to right. quiz. <laughs> but Dorothy stops by the butcher, which sounds super strange in like United States standards today. We mm-hmm. don't just go to the butcher and right. get a leg of lamb. Like we, we go, go to, to Kroger. Kroger or Walmart. <laughs> right. But, you know, in 1945 and earlier and later, that was extremely common just to stop by the butcher and get your meat or stop by the mm-hmm. baker and get your bread. Mm-hmm. There weren't any superstores that one could run to at that time to get their required items for the week or for the month. Right, right. But while there, she reportedly joked to the butcher, chatted with some friends as she went about her errands, just being her true self. 
in an article published on February 13th, 2021, so pretty recently, called mm-hmm. The Strange Disappearance of Dorothy Forstein, the author wrote that by the time she returned home, it was nearly dark. And thinking it would be much easier to get the groceries out of the car or whatever and into the house before going back to her friends to get the kids because it was dark, you know? Mm-hmm. So she says... I'll wait and get the kids after I put these groceries up because it will just be easier. I don't have kids, but I can attest to the fact that it can be very difficult to bring anything into your home with the dogs that we have that are jumping on you and licking you. So I can only imagine that feat. Oh, yeah. It is a feat. Mm -hmm. Which is why, you know, I wish they had things like click lists. Back in the day. Yeah. Yeah. Or Costco delivery. Yeah. So, yeah, I get that that choice because that's hard. So, totally off topic, but I am writing my Patreon mini episodes for the month, and I want to do one for Costco must-haves because oh. I love Costco. So, listeners, if there's a Costco or Sam's Club must-have that you love, Ooh. please comment. I'll do a status on Facebook, but please comment on that. <gasps> status Ah. so i can kind of look into that and maybe highlight your needed item you know and that's good to know too because some things in bulk you're like oh yes i would use barbecue sauce in bulk and Mm -hmm. then it's still in your pantry a year and a half later yeah or i'm always like yeah i'm gonna get this bulk romaine lettuce and then right goes bad before we eat all of it. So what actually gets used? Right. What do we need from Sam's Club or Costco? I think that's awesome. We want to know. So she puts her groceries away and I'm assuming from what I've read that this friend's house wasn't very far away. I'm almost thinking she could walk there from what it sounded like. But as Dorothy walked through her door, she is quite literally savagely attacked. (gasps) As in... Someone is in her home. No, which is weird, but as she's walking home, so people think someone was either following her or was just like hiding in the darkness waiting on her. She is attacked from behind. She is hit in the head and it's as she's like opening the door. So she's walking into her house. Somebody comes up from behind. As the beating is taking place, she inadvertently and thankfully knocks the telephone off the base and you know in 1945 when you needed to make the operator yeah it would call the operator so thankfully because she knocked over the telephone the operator picked up and (gasps) she's she's saying hello operator how can i help you and she hears the attack taking place wow i know coincidental for sure yeah and when she can't get anybody to respond, she's like, hello, can I help you? Hello, are you okay? The operator quickly alerts the police and they promptly arrive on the scene. So I'm wondering at this point, and I'm sure you'll tell me, but because they're wealthy, I would think this was going to be like a robber. Like somebody, because they waited, if they were following mm-hmm. her, they obviously waited strategically for this moment when the door has been unlocked. So I'm wondering if they're going to come in and take things. But they don't, though. What? They take nothing. Dorothy, from my understanding was essentially beaten and then just left 
like unconscious with a broken nose. Her jaw was broken and her shoulder was fractured. <gasps> so this isn't just they're beating her to get her out of the way to go steal things. This to me is like they're beating her to kill her. Oh my gosh. But and then you think, why would they wait till that moment when she's walking in her house? I'm wondering if they were afraid to draw attention doing it outside. Mm. So they did it in the house. I'm not really sure about that mm. one. Investigators can tell, though, that she was beaten by both a blunt object and someone's fist. Oh, gosh. Yeah. She's immediately rushed to the hospital. She finally wakes up and she could only weakly explain that, quote, someone jumped out at me. I couldn't see who it was. He just hit me and hit me, end quote. So we know a male. Yes. And later investigators do speak with people in their neighborhood. You know, again, this is a very rich area of town, so no one mm -hmm. would expect something like this right. to happen there. Right. Um, police were confident if anyone did see anything unusual that they would remember it. But there wasn't really a lot that neighbors were able to tell. Luckily, when they spoke to one of Dorothy's neighbors and the McKenna YouTube video said that she had no way of proving this, but almost felt that this neighbor mm. was the neighbor that was watching Dorothy's kids. Because why oh. would she be peeking out the window? But right. a neighbor said that she was looking out her window as Dorothy approached her residence and remembered seeing someone like with her or walking behind her and she didn't really think anything of it because she just assumed they were together but this person was walking behind her as she made her way through the evening shadows to her front door mm. so that, so that neighbor, could have been the attacker yeah and that neighbor whose name was Maria admitted that she didn't look closely at the man to be able to identify him because again she assumed they were together it maybe could have been her husband you know it could have been anybody mm -hmm. and it was a safe neighborhood so she never would have imagined that Dorothy was in trouble yeah we talk about that all the time how unless there's something that stands out to you you're not going to remember it right and that's part of what makes Dorothy's case so puzzling to me later on because there are some things that should stick out to people, but it oh. doesn't. Oh. Yeah, it's very... Intrigue. Very weird. Investigators labeled this attack an attempted murder, right? Because nothing was taken from their home. The, right. There's no other motive. Yeah, and they would have had plenty of time to steal things, but they didn't. Captain James Kelly of the Philadelphia Homicide Division began trying to put the pieces of this weird puzzle together. He concluded that it could only have been someone trying to kill Dorothy because no money, no jewelry, nothing was taken from the home. Jules, her husband, was also investigated, which makes sense because he's mm -hmm. close to her, but he had an undeniable alibi. They could tell you 100% for sure that he was still at work mm. and his children were too young to have been involved so the case was further complicated by the fact that Dorothy had no known enemies she was well liked remember she's this social mm -hmm. butterfly the neighborhood yeah. loves her so the most prevalent theory for the police investigators was that the attacker may have been someone who appeared in court before her husband. 
and mm. had assaulted Dorothy for revenge. I have to admit, I thought that too, because was this, I thought, well, if she didn't have any enemies and there wasn't another motive, I thought this had to be somebody trying to send her husband a message. Yeah, and that theory is going to come back up again. Okay. So no arrests were made, even though police exhausted every possible lead. Ultimately, Dorothy would recover from her injuries, but was so shaken by this incident that she was never the same again. So this Um, happy, carefree person, her bubbly personality, completely gone, which honestly, I get it. Oh, I don't even remember why Rodney and I were talking about it. I think because we were talking about increases of violence in our world and stuff. Mm -hmm. And we were talking about how it's completely understandable that if somebody goes to war that they would come back and like their whole perspective on everything has changed. And I said, you know, on some small scale, I said, you know, if I were ever in a school building and there was a school shooting. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I'd ever be able to walk into that building again mm-hmm. because yeah. that trauma would. And so I totally get it. I totally understand why she would have that complete shift. I mean, even at because we obviously live at my fertility specialist doctor's office. <laughs> <I'm> <laughs> yeah. gonna, like we are now recognized by the people who check you in for your appointments. They always say, didn't I see you here like two days ago? Yes, sir, you did. I'm basically going to move my sleep number into this waiting room. (laughs) I'm going to set a cot up in the corner. Yeah, I'm going to set a cot up in here. But every time I'm in the same examination room that I was in when we found out we were having a miscarriage, I immediately cry. Mm -hmm. Every Mm -hmm. single time. And that's Mm -hmm. not, you know, it's not obviously the same as her situation, but I could see how. It's trauma. Yeah. Yeah. how, How her personality would change. Mm-hmm. So this bubbly Dorothy is replaced by an anxious woman who is both nervous and upset, jumping at the slightest noise in her house, compulsively checking and rechecking the locks on doors and windows. I mean, I know I do this. I will double check the doors before I go to bed at night. But this was almost OCD. Mm. She had to do it and redo it and redo it to make sure they were locked. She rarely went out of her home. She clung to the safety she felt within the locked up house. She was sure that someone was out to get her, but the question was who? Gosh, that is tough. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because she doesn't even know. You know, it would be one thing if, you know, you knew your attacker had blonde hair and was roughly this height and had you know what I mean and then you would only be scared if you saw someone who meets that description but to not even know what your attacker looks like it could be anybody so you need to be afraid of anybody and she was so well liked she never would have seen that coming I mean I could Mm -hmm. I'm sure she could maybe justify it a little bit more if everybody in her town hated her and she got death threats every day but she wasn't so that was even more of a surprise that she's randomly almost beaten to death in her home Mm -hmm. according to an article about Dorothy on America haunting and said quote Jules Forstein was perplexed he was sure that no one with whom he had come into contact as a magistrate would bear him enough grudge to hurt his wife or his family, and yet he could not explain Dorothy's attack, end quote. It Mm. went on to say he seldom left his wife and children alone. 
because for anything more than just work hours, he always tried to be home early, leave as late as possible, not be gone longer than he needed to be. But on the night of October 18th, 1949, he did leave them alone longer than normal, and that decision would go on to haunt him. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Okay, Allison. So, Jules had made plans to attend a political banquet on that October night. So, October the 18th, 1949. Oh, so that's where he was? So, not the night that she was savagely attacked because we've now gone forward four years. Okay. So her first attack was in 1945. We're now in 1949. I did a time leap there. <laughs> I thought we were in the same. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're in 1949. I actually think I forgot to okay. say that. Okay. So he has to attend a political banquet. And in my research, I found that he pretty much begged Dorothy to come along with him. He said mm-hmm. things around like maybe getting out of the house and socializing would help you relax a little. Maybe you need just to interact with people and kind of come down a little bit. Maybe it would bring mm-hmm. you back to your old self again. Mm-hmm. He tries and tries and tries, but Dorothy refused. So all these years have passed and she is still at this point, not brave enough to venture outside of her house for extended periods of time. Mm-hmm. So he goes on to this political banquet telling her, you know, I'll call you to let you know if I'm going to be late. Mm-hmm. Everything will be fine. Don't worry. We okay. know at 9 p.m. Dorothy telephoned a friend to arrange a shopping trip the two had planned for the next day. So she's still getting out just with not people. with yeah with close people when it's daylight, mm-hmm. not mm-hmm. when it's starting to get dark. Okay, but Jules she's was- going to be at home though by yes. herself. She's okay. Okay. Because she can lock the windows and she's doing that compulsively. Right. And she's not really by herself. So her older daughter is with a friend, but her younger kids are at home with her. Okay. So she's the only adult, but there's other people there with her. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Jules is leaving the office after the party and he called to check on his wife and says, you know, I'm not planning to stay too late. I'm not going to be home late. Dorothy reassures him that everything was fine at home. She joked with him for a moment, almost Mm -hmm. seeming like her old self to him. But before she ended her phone call with her husband, she said something really strange. Okay. She said, quote, be sure to miss me as she hung up the phone. And I Hmm. don't know if, because I'm thinking... 
if this were Anthony and I having a conversation and he's at a conference mm-hmm. and I had to stay here because I have work and we can never take off because there's no subs. So <laughs> like, I'm wondering if she said like, be sure to miss me, like being sarcastic because she's at oh, home. Yeah. And he's like, there. don't have too much fun without me. Yeah. yeah. Or if she's like, be sure to miss me when I'm gone, you know, like, oh, I'm oh. wondering in what yeah. tone did she say that? Mm-hmm. Jules did report he thought it was strange that his wife would say such a thing, but just played it off, you know, more than likely justifying it in his mind that she was just joking, acting like her normal self. But many people, Allison, do not believe she was joking. Oh. When Jules returned home that night, Dorothy was nowhere to be found. Are her kids there? We'll get to that. Okay. We'll get there. We'll get there. Okay. Okay. One thing I can say about this case that I often feel we can't say for most of the cases that we cover is that the Mm -hmm. timeline regarding Dorothy's case, even though this is 1949, stays pretty consistent throughout the years. Okay. Which is good. Yeah, we're not getting 80 different versions. Right. And most every source said that Jules arrived, arrived home around 1130 that night. Okay. Strangely, the house was dark when he walked through the door. I'm sure he was expecting his kids to be asleep because they're little. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He didn't think anything about not being met at the door with smiling little tiny faces greeting him. What he did Mm -hmm. think was odd was that Dorothy was also nowhere to be seen and the lights were out. So he's probably thinking maybe she went to bed early. Yeah. And he tells investigators that, you know, I was thinking she's just in bed. Yeah. So he makes his way up the stairs. I remember this is okay. a this is a big home. Three story. Yeah. yeah. He's got a he's got a climb. <laughs> right. <laughs> As he ascends the stairs, Jules heard the sound of muffled crying. He quickly dashes to his children's room and he finds his two youngest, Edward and Marcy, huddled together on the floor crying. What? Huddled together means they were terrified by something. Yes. And if you remember, I mentioned that. Dorothy and Jules had an older daughter, but mm-hmm. she was with a friend that night and wasn't home. And it wasn't like Dorothy to be out this late at night. And it definitely wasn't like Dorothy to leave her two smallest kids at home with no one to watch them. Yeah, because, heck, when she went to the grocery earlier, she asked the neighbor to watch them. Yeah. and So, yeah, this is not normal behavior. Yeah, it's weird. And I'm, you know, we talk about, we try to justify things all the time. So, Jules. hmm mm-hmm. Probably is trying to say maybe she just had to run out really quick. Maybe, you know, she's in the bathroom and the kids tried to find her and they couldn't. And now they're crying, you know, like she maybe needed a cup of sugar and had to run over to the neighbor's house. Right. And they were thought to be asleep, you know. But Jules went when he went over to check on the two cowering children in their bedroom crying. The oldest Mm -hmm. daughter, Marcy, looked into her daddy's eyes and said, quote, mommy's gone, end quote. Uh, so they're huddled together. So clearly something Mm -hmm. horrific happened. Mm -hmm. And the first thing she says is mommy's gone. Yep. So this was not just mommy leaving. Right. Because she would have been old enough, I think, to say like, mommy left. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. There's a big difference between mommy left and mommy's gone. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because left... left Yeah, it implies, like, her autonomy, like, she willingly left. Yes. Gone has a much different connotation. Mm Mm-hmm. 
When he checked the rest of the house, he could find no sign of Dorothy. Marcy had told her father that only 15 minutes before he arrived home, so 15 minutes, she had gone downstairs. So remember, this is a three-story home. After being woken up by a noise, so she hears a noise, she goes downstairs. She saw a middle-aged man wearing a brown peat cap carrying her mom down the stairs over his shoulder. What's the mom doing? Is she screaming? Is she... She said... This sounds very... You know the scene in How the Grinch Stole Christmas? The cartoon... This episode is all about Christmas to me. But um, the cartoon version when she's like, Santa Claus, why are you stealing my tree? Mm-hmm. And he's like, there's a light that won't light on this side. I'm taking it back, you know, and I'll bring it back to you. This is what this mm-hmm. reminds me of. So she said her mother was still wearing her pajamas. And I read somewhere that they were red pajamas. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's a pretty distinctive color. And that mommy appeared to be sleeping. That's weird. So was she knocked out then? Because that's what I would think. Yeah, that's what I think because there's no blood anywhere in mm-hmm. the house. So I feel like mm-hmm. she would have had to be. When Mm -hmm. she saw the man carrying her mommy, she mustered up all of the bravery she had and stepped out into the hall to ask the man where he was taking her mommy. She tells Jules, the man patted me on the head and said, go back to sleep, little one. Your mommy's fine. Before he left the house, locking the door behind him. Locking the door behind him? Yes. See, that I, detail is weird to me. I also read that he said something about, like, to her, mommy's had trouble sleeping. I'm going to help her sleep or something like that. And <gasps> okay, that, that just gave that me your goosebumps. Mommy is gone. Yeah, because I wasn't thinking sleeping. I was thinking more, like, eternal sleep. Yeah. Um, yeah. But this, the man in the hat reminds me of that Jesse Gutierrez case. Mm-hmm. Where she, the, remember the sister woke up and saw the man in the cowboy hat? Yeah. And like, people at first don't want to believe it because they're so young. Right. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, that is too detailed, I think. And they're they're horrified, right? Mm-hmm. Huddled together. Um, but that, I'm telling you, that small detail. There's always like a small detail that stands out to me as really weird. And it's the fact that the man locked the door behind him. Well, I think that's really weird, too, and investigators uh, would agree with us, because if he was coming just to still to take mommy, mm-hmm. locking the door almost seems a protective instinct yeah. to the children in the house. Yeah, And if his intent is to kill their mommy, like, why take the extra step to protect mm-hmm. the kid? When she popped yeah. out, why didn't he just knock marcy out too and leave her laying there and take mom right yeah that's that is bizarre to me and the pat on the head Mm -hmm. also is a really weird thing to do like he Mm -hmm. didn't want to upset her or scare her so he pats her on the head gives her a glass of water and sends her back to bed just like in the dr seuss book wow so yeah this is a bizarre case mm mm-hmm While Jules was surprised that she would have left the children at home by themselves, as I mentioned earlier, he just assumed that Dorothy had gone over to see a friend or maybe the neighbor. I know a lot of people who slip out of the house when their kids are asleep to quickly visit neighbors. There's that one case. What is that case? And 
the parents are at a resort. I'm pretty sure it's in England or something. Oh, um, McCann is the last yeah, name. Yeah, yeah. I'm and blanking just, on the first name now. And they leave them. Madeline. Madeline mm-hmm. McCann. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And she's essentially stolen out of her bed yep. at this yep. resort. So that kind of thing happens. Mommies and daddies quickly slip away and then come back. So Jules was sure this was what Dorothy had done. He telephoned for several hours to people he thought she might have visited, but no one had seen her. Well, yeah, because your daughter, Dar- Marcy... Told you what happened. Yeah, mommy's gone. <laughs> when he can get up with no one that has seen her, he finally gives in and calls Captain Kelly. So the same detective that investigated her assault in 1945. The detective mm-hmm. soon started having his men check hospitals, checking morgues, hotels over Philadelphia to see if anybody that looked like her had checked in, was injured or dead. Right. And per an article on Strange Outdoors, police even went door to door in the neighborhood. But in this instance, no one had seen anything unusual. So in the attack, we see the man following behind her. But in the disappearance, we see nothing unusual. So this time, nobody even saw this man come in. But here's my other question that I just now thought about. And let, no, and see, I don't even believe that. I was going to say, unless Jules forgot to lock the front door when he left. But I'm telling you, with the fact that she was so compulsive about checking things, I don't get the sense that that would have tapered off even four years later. So I'm curious how this man with the hat got in. Even got in, yeah. And that's something people still question and we are going to talk kind of about that here in a little bit okay but officers searched the house for any type of evidence in the house they discovered dorothy's purse they discovered her keys nothing was amiss there was nothing missing nothing turned over and Mm. nine-year-old marcy is the biggest witness in this case and Mm -hmm. she again tells police she was woken up by the sound of someone coming in it's like a loud sound she went to the hallway to investigate she saw a man coming up the stairs somebody she didn't recognize he had a brown hat on her mother she went on to say so this is a more detailed version of what marcy saw Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. was lying face down on the floor of her bedroom so she sees mommy in the bedroom and she saw the man pick her up and carry her downstairs so she's peeking into mommy's room she sees her and sees the man pick her up And Marcy says that she steps out into the hallway, says, what are you doing? And he says, go back to sleep, little one. Your mommy is okay. And pats her on the head and walks Mm. out with Dorothy's limp body over his shoulder. So her details are staying the exact same. Yeah. I mean, she added the one about seeing her mom face down on the floor, but that could have been like all the time. I'll like try to remember something and I'll be like, oh, this Mm -hmm. happened. And then somebody will be like, oh, but what? And I was like, oh, yeah, that happened, too. And I'll remember something else. Or she could have, you know, been telling her dad a very quick version of what happened because Mm -hmm. she was so scared. And then by the time she's talking to police, she's had time to calm down a little and can recall more detail. Mm hmm. She told police that her father, again, returned home about 15 minutes later. So, very consistent for a Mm nine-year-old. Yeah. Which is not their forte. No, it's not. So. Even big kids, consistency is hard. (laughs) (laughs) 
We know the man carried Dorothy down the stairs. We know the man carried Dorothy out the front door. We know he locked the door behind him. This is a lot of time. Mm -hmm. Like, what's he doing with her body when he's locking the door? Is he just, she's just dead weight over her shoulder or over his shoulder? I guess. And then you would think if he's carrying her, nobody saw a man carrying a woman over his shoulder walking down the street. Yes. And Marcy ran back to her brother. So door's locked. Marcy runs back to her brother, wakes him up, and they wait, huddled on the floor, terrified until their father gets home 15 minutes later. The little girl again tells detectives, I have no idea who this man is. I have never seen this man before. Hmm. Police at first are skeptical of Marcy's story, and I understand because she's so young. Mm Mm-hmm. But there was no sign of forced entry, no physical evidence that anyone had been in the property that shouldn't have been. So no strange fingerprints. Hmm. And my question is, why would she lie about what happened to her mom or be smart enough to remember such an elaborate lie at nine? I just don't think she's lying. No, I don't either. And because of her consistency... And she stuck to her account, to those details. Psychiatrists examined her. They were convinced she was telling the truth. Police finally buy her story of events. Wow. So it took that. It took an adult saying, this kid is telling the truth before they'll even listen, really. Yes. As bizarre as the story sounded, it was only the only possible explanation that police had for Dorothy's disappearance is like nothing really. I mean, yeah, nothing is random just, again. Yeah, it's just so crazy. Nothing was disturbed in the house. Nothing's missing. No lamps are turned over to indicate a struggle. There's no indication anybody besides family had been in the house. There's not a single fingerprint that didn't belong to family. There was no strange anything in the mix the investigators Mm. wondered how a man could walk down a sidewalk or street with a woman in her pajamas over his shoulder without yes Yes. very distinctive color like Mm. red is going to show even at nighttime with the street lamps it's not like they were camouflaged unless he put her into a car yeah, and I didn't hear anything, read anything about that, but I almost think he would have to unless they lived yeah. like maybe and had a wooded backyard or he and he could slip into that or something. Right. While this neighborhood was considered a rich part of town, that does not exclude people from gossiping. I mean, oh, Allison, no. we both live in subdivisions and we both know how nosy neighbors can be. Mm-hmm. So Dorothy's case may seem like a long time ago, but it really hasn't. And people really haven't changed that that much. So am I to believe that no one, not a single person, was awake at 1130 that night and not a single person was getting a glass of water, looking out at the moon, and no one saw a grown man carrying a woman over his shoulder to either his car or down the street? Right. And how... It just doesn't make sense. There's so many questions. And how had he gotten into the locked house anyways? Right. Questions investigators had was, could someone have let him in? But if so, who could it have been? It would have Certainly, to be Dorothy. But that doesn't sound right. like Dorothy. And it wouldn't have been her kids because they already would have been asleep. Right. Some people say, could Dorothy have just up and walked away? 
There are so many questions and so many unknowns. Hmm. But one thing we know for sure is that Dorothy was never seen again. No leads, no suspects, no explanations as to what might have happened to her or where she was taken. Newspapers all over the country, especially in Pennsylvania, carried stories about her disappearance and possible kidnapping. But by the end of October, the story was largely gone from the public view. Mm-hmm. It disappeared just as Dorothy had done. She simply vanished like she fell off the side of the world, gone without a trace. Wow. So I want to bring up a couple of theories that I read in my research regarding the disappearance of Dorothy. Okay. So the first one is in the years since Dorothy's, we're going to say abduction at this point, mm-hmm. multiple so professional ones and amateur ones like us have attempted to crack this case and one theory that is most people say the most sensible concerns a 29 year old textile salesman named morris okay in an article called vanished into the night the unsolved disappearance of dorothy fornstein decades later her whereabouts remain a mystery why make your article title so long i know i know just say vanished into the night Dorothy Forstein. Yeah, done. Simple, perfect. It was Mm -hmm. written by Gary Sweeney. So there's your tidbit from two nobody English teachers. (laughs) Gary Sweeney, make your titles shorter. Or two cents. Yeah. Yeah. It was published on December 12th, 2016. It said that in September of 1944, a crowd had assembled in Philadelphia to protest the then Republican presidential candidate Thomas Dewey as he prepared to make a speech at the Pennsylvania Railroad Station. Mm -hmm. Two policemen, James McCarthy and Samuel Ralston, saw Morris and perceived his mannerisms to be threatening. They pull him out of the crowd on charges of inciting a riot, resisting arrest, and disorderly conduct. Okay. Morris was fined ten dollars. That's not much. Well, of course, in the forties, I'm sure it was. But you know, but now if we, if, you know, got pulled over for speeding and they were like ten dollars, I'd be like, okay, let me Venmo you that real right. fast. Yeah. yeah. But he countered it by filing assault and battery charges against the two police officers, claiming that they beat him for nearly two minutes. Hmm. McCarthy and Ralston were originally held on a $1,000 bail by the then magistrate, James McBride. However, the charges against the officers were later dropped by none other than Magistrate Jules Mm. Forstein. So, it has been theorized that Morris... Was who attacked Dorothy in 1945 in a retaliation effort against her husband for his help with these officers. And they also say this man is who abducted Dorothy. First of all, that is four years difference from 1945 to 1949. Yeah. Who is going to wait that long? I don't think anybody would. I feel like it would be as soon as he got out out of the hospital because it's out of anger. You would have time right. to calm down by 1949. And I get, okay, so the, I don't understand the psychological mentality, but I'm going to try to psychoanalyze Morris right here. Okay. And in my head, I'm thinking, okay, so what he said these policemen did to him was to beat him. Mm-hmm. So if he were angry with Jules, 
it then psychologically would make sense why he would aggressively beat Dorothy, Dorothy right? Mm-hmm. Because that is the same thing he's saying he suffered. Yeah. Right? Like he's trying to send a message like, yeah. let's see it's if happened you take to me. this seriously now. Yeah. yeah. But the abduction doesn't make any sense. I right, mean, because it's who aren't connected at all. That's true. It I, could have been I he mean, beat her in 1945 and somebody else abducted her in 1949. Right. I mean, if it if somebody and they knew that she would be, you know, home and not out because they knew she wouldn't leave her house anymore. And honestly, the beating in 45 by this guy makes sense because his motive wouldn't have been robbery. It would have just right. been to beat Mm -hmm. about Dorothy and then leave Mm -hmm. which he did but that still leaves us with not knowing who abducted her and why correct and the second theory that many discuss as a likely possibility is that Jules was behind the disappearance of his wife Hmm. I don't know about this one but I'll get your input on it okay he obviously had a solid alibi he was at that party but that doesn't mean that, I mean, that doesn't really mean anything to a man of wealth, right? Because mm-hmm. he could have just paid someone to go to his house right. and right. kidnap his wife, which would explain how they would have been able to get in because he could have given them a key. This would also explain mm. why his children were left unharmed because the person mm-hmm. would only be there to take Dorothy and not to hurt his kids. Thus, the little pat on Marcy's head trying to calm her down saying you know mommy is fine locking the door when he leaves mm-hmm. from the outside the two seem to have him have a happy marriage i didn't read anywhere in my research that indicated they were unhappy behind closed doors still there are many who think he is responsible i mean we have had many stories many cases on our show where what seems to be true is not actually true. I mean, you had that one story, the House of Horrors, mm-hmm. and they were wealthy and things seemed to be great. And then the man annihilated his entire family. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I don't necessarily, my gut isn't telling me that he did have something to do with it necessarily, but I don't want to discount it completely because, I mean, she had changed in many ways mm-hmm. from the wife, that. you know, that she was before. And if he's a rising political figure, and I don't, again, I I don't want to put this on him and I'm, I'm not saying he's guilty, but I'm trying to, again, theorize, you know, maybe he was like, well, I need to have somebody who's going to help me you know, in this political realm, like Dorothy used to, it does explain away a lot of my questions that I I have. I feel like I would need to know more about him personally before I could make any type of judgment about Mm -hmm. his involvement in her disappearance. Mm -hmm. I mean, like, I think it's a, it's such a talked about possibility because like you said, it answers some hard questions. Like how Mm -hmm. did he get in the house? You know, like it answers a lot of the questions, but that doesn't necessarily mean that. Right. Right. Exactly. This is is the theory. Right. So 
So the final thing is that Dorothy either staged this abduction or she just ran away. We know she was paranoid after her first attack. She was scared to be anywhere. Could she have been so scared that she felt she needed to start over? Maybe she just needed to escape and running away was the only way that she knew how to do that. She also wasn't in a very good mental state. So some people believe she could have been on like some type of manic episode and that her fleeing was a result of that unstable mental condition. But I feel... I don't know how I feel about this one. I don't think that this is it. It does not explain to me the man carrying her unconscious over his shoulder. Right. I think of all of the theories, this one is the least likely (laughs) to me. I mean, it takes a lot of planning. Yeah, and I think she would be, if she's so scared that she doesn't want to leave her home, I would think that the idea of completely starting over and having to trust complete strangers you know, to, to leave everything that is familiar would not be a choice that she would make. I agree with you. And sadly, I don't think we will ever know what happened to her. In 1957, President Judge Charles Klein of the Orphans Court stated that Dorothy would be declared officially dead as of October 18, 1956, seven years after she vanished and just months after her husband died of heart disease. His decision was based on a petition filed by Dorothy's oldest stepdaughter. Captain David Roberts of the Philadelphia Homicide Squad concurred that all efforts of police and private investigators had failed to discover a trace of the missing woman. As the years tick by, the likelihood of finding out what truly happened to Dorothy grow dimmer and dimmer. The truth is out there somewhere, and we are charged with finding it. Sleuthhounds, it's my hope that because we're sharing what has happened to Dorothy that we may see a revival in her case. I hope that people start talking about her again. I hope that she isn't forgotten. If you do anything today, share her case with one other person. Speak her name. Let her be remembered. Again, please like and join our Facebook page, Coffee and Cases Podcast, to continue the conversation and see images related to this episode. As always, follow us on Twitter at Cases Coffee, on Instagram at Coffee Cases Podcast, or you can always email us suggestions to coffeeandcasespodcast at gmail.com. Please tell your friends about our podcast so more people can be reached to possibly help bring some closure to these families. Don't forget to rate our show and leave us a comment as well. We hope to hear from you soon. Stay together. Stay safe. We'll We'll see see you you next week. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. 